Hello, this is Bella for On Reading. A little while ago, I had the pleasure of talking to actor and author Lisa Williamson about her love of reading and the books that have meant the most to her so far. Lisa is best known for her young adult books. The Art of Being Normal won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize in 2016. She's also written All About Mere, Paper Avalanche, and her latest book, out early this year, is The First Day of My Life. Welcome to the On Reading Podcast, where my guest today is the author, Lisa Williamson. Hello, Lisa. Hello. So, obviously, you're a writer. Have you always been a real reader? Yes, yeah, I, I have. It's strange, I can't remember much about being very, very small. Do you remember that process of learning to read? No, I don't no. remember. I, mean, I remember at school there's like Peter and Jane and you know, Roger Redhat, but I don't remember actually learning to read. No. I just, all I can remember is being able to do it. Do you remember the first book that really resonated with you? Had many books that were actually mine, so I think possibly just by default it was any book that I sort of had that I, I kept. Um, so things like Millie Molly Mandy, I had this sort of very very um, sort of dog-eared copy of that, and My Naughty Little Sister. And would you reread these? Oh yeah, yeah. like My Naughty Little Sister. There was one of the sort of short stories where it's she they like tucked into this trifle that was for a party and they weren't meant to eat it yet. <laughs> and I just love anything involving food really, like. And Millie Molly Mandy, for example, I just loved the map at the front that showed the sort of the little village she lived in and all the places she would go. And normally, um, about about, often I liked um, reading about people quite naughty. So I liked the naughtiest girl in the school by New Blight and things like that because I was quite well well behaved, I suppose. So I quite you were liked... living your naughty life. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I think there was a lot of a lot of that going on. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in 1980, so my teenage years were basically, it was the, it was the 90s. So there, there was YA, but I think looking back, I wasn't really finding the stuff I really wanted. So I read a lot of American books, so a lot of Sweet Valley Twins and then Sweet Valley High, Babysitter's Club, a series called Pen Pals. Um, I read a lot of Paula Danziger. Um, That's really interesting because many of your chosen books are American. Yeah, yeah. And it was um, it was a massive part of yeah. growing up. And just American culture in general, like the TV I, w- I watched, um, the books I read. Um, but it was really what was available as well. If I went to, like UKY, I know there were some titles out there, but... I Not in the same way. No, and yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't seeing them. And, um, and I think I would have, you know, really welcomed a book where I could sort of better see myself slotting into so with these books it felt it was more like escapism really because you know Sweet Valley High they were sort of their lives were, were ridiculous it was all like proms and dates and occasionally they'll get kidnapped or something it was it was you know it was, it was so I wasn't reading you know thinking oh I could re- can relate to this it was almost it was the opposite yeah it was all like you know I'm living in Nottingham no one's going on to a prom here so how about yes, as you said about your reading now? Mm. Um, how do you read? Do you read all the time regularly, or um, do you have phases that you read? I'm always reading, so I I probably average about a book a week. Whenever I'm on public transport or in a queue, I've always got a book on me, um, and just all those little snatch moments seem to add mm. up. Uh, I use Goodreads oh, website okay. as a reader. Um, I am on it as an author, but I don't sort of go on and check my um <laughs> sort of like, yeah, everyone says don't go on goodreads no. but um yeah so i think it's great for readers and i think that's what it's for so almost all for some like stay away if you're going to use it use it as yeah. a reader do you have books that you return to over and over again the at the moment very few um just because i'm 
constantly have a bit of a panic that you know I'm not going to read everything I need to read. Not enough time. Yeah, yeah. so often I'm really tempted to want to go back, but I'm just like, well, I can't because there are all these books over here that I yeah. need to read. You obviously read a lot of YA, but do you read other genres as well? Yes. Uh, so I probably read maybe about half YA. Um, I do read adult fiction as well, mostly contemporary, and that goes for YA and adult, just because, I don't know, I think there's something really sort of magical and extraordinary in the ordinary, mm. and um, that's just... That's just naturally what I want to read. Yeah. It's ne- it never is ordinary. Like everybody's sort of unique and interesting, and I find that sort of so much more exciting than possibly you know a, a fantastical world. Yeah. Great. Well, let's start talking about the books that you've chosen. So you've chosen seven books, mm. um, which, as you I think you said earlier, are not necessarily your favourite books, but mm. are books that have meant the most to you yes. at some point in your life. Yeah. So, Talking about the first one is The Enchanted Book by Ina Blyton. Yes. Yeah. Do you have the copy here? And weirdly though. And so I've got this very sort of 1970s looking hardback copy and I've opened it up and I don't think it was ever mine. It says, Chuck Kelly, happy birthday, love mummy. And then the other one was my, it's got my, um, one of my best friend's brother's name in it. So I'm like, I don't know how I've acquired these books, but, but I've had this enchanted word for as long as I can remember. What appealed to me growing up about these stories, because I read a lot of Ina Blyton, but particularly these ones, is just that they are three ordinary children who you know, find, find a magical tree, you know, in the woods mm. in the, around the back of their house. And that could have been you. So yeah, just... yeah. And there was something about it that, you know, it was so far removed from my very ordinary life. There was just something... But yet yeah, there was something sort of tangible about mm. it. I Just the imagination of it. The idea that this is this amazing tree and you... And there are people who live in the tree and there's a different land up there every week and, you know, the slippery slip slide that goes through. <laughs> it was just it was just everything that a kid wants in a book. And also loads of food references. Yes, I was going to say. I yeah. Mean, that, I think... Oh, God, it was heaven save My favourite chapters um, in The Enchanted Wood, uh, I think there's Land of Birthday Parties and there's also The Land of Treats. Those are always my favourite. So it was just full of them eating... Eating cake and sweets. Yes, yummy, <laughs> yummy food. So I think that was a massive part of it. And just really realising that stories could take you anywhere... And it was a real escape mm. because I was, as a kid and a teenager, I just wanted my life to be extraordinary. And I just, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was very, very, I always had these sort of grand plans and ambitions and always had these fantasies in my head of what I was going to do with my life. And I think this sort of played into that because mm. it was so far removed. And that ability as a child, I really wish I still had that to actually go in that world and actually mm. be in it when you're reading and I just don't have that anymore. I yeah. think as an adult, it's such a shame, isn't yeah. it? You lose that ability. Yeah, like to role, role play. I used yeah. to. That was my favourite thing to do when I was a kid. Was just role play for hours on end with my friends. And believe actually, be oh, there. Yeah, you'd get. Yeah. I remember like you would sometimes at lunchtime. I'd be like, right, we're going to play this, and you're this, and you're this, and you're this, and you for the full hour you'd be in character, and then the bell would go, and you'd have to go back into the classroom, and it'd be almost like waking up from a dream. Mm. Just be like you've been so immersed in that world. Maybe that is why you're a writer, because you are more able to access that side mm. of, of your kind of fantasy life, yeah. and put yourself in that position. Yeah, I um, think so. Because often when I talk about, you know, sort of being an actor and a writer and, and why I moved away from acting, I do think it was that even though there were so many aspects of acting I like, there was a real lack of control there because, mm. you know, a director would tell you, you know, where to stand and how to deliver a line. The lines would be, you know, written by somebody else and the whole overall vision was always, you know, wasn't yours and I think I just wanted to be in control of every aspect of it, you know, how things looked and sounded and what people were feeling and, mm. and as a writer, you, you're in charge of yeah. everything. You are God, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So your second book is um, starring Sally J. Friedman as herself by mm. the wonderful Judy Blue. Yes. You know, Judy Bloom, I think she's 
amazing and um, but for some reason there's something about Sally J Freeman that just felt so special it's historical so it's set in the 40s taking an ordinary rite of passage um, but somehow telling the story in such a compelling interesting but accessible way mm. I think she was one of the first authors I came across where I thought oh I can imagine this being, is what you want yeah to do. I can imagine being friends with this character yeah. it didn't feel you know sort of this far away sort of you know sweet valley sort of um characters that I, I secretly knew probably didn't exist I felt like Sally yeah. and Margaret and absolutely existed it is interesting I think that I had such a relationship with one of her younger titles with you know a quite young protagonist it is I was probably you know, quite a late developer and possibly there was part of that that I wasn't ready for books with, mm. with more yeah. sort of mature content so I um, often did read read down um, it's so refreshing to hear that isn't it and I, I completely agree I think a lot of children want to read down mm. but there's a sort of sense of especially in the market as well old children always want to read about older children you know they aspire yeah. but often children are going back and I mean I see my children reading things about 7 year olds 8 year olds when they're 11, 12 over and over again yeah. and people assume you know you can't be nostalgic for those times when you were seven or eight and when you're you know like 10 or 11 it feels like you know such a long time ago but yet sometimes you want to recapture those times and I think often that's what I wanted to do and because I was possibly doing a lot of things a bit later than everybody else I it sort of aligned more for me mm. to read about 11 12 year olds when I was maybe 14 15 and I just kind of knew I wasn't ready I think I was quite good at sensor sort of self censoring when I was younger so I would often pick up a book and I was just like I'm not ready for that yeah we've got to trust kids to yeah, read their own to minds yeah and to not freak out when, if they're reading a book that's for someone younger than them yeah, so, yeah. your third book is The Best of Everything by Rona Jaffa mm-hmm. now I haven't read this book and I don't know why because I work in publishing mm-hmm. and this is wonderful telling of New York and mm-hmm. the publishing scene from a sort of editorial assistant mm-hmm. point of view um, I just loved it and it's at the beginning, there's an introduction by the author and basically explaining why she wanted to write this book. And it's because at the time she was working in she was working in publishing, so there are very autobiographical elements in the book. But so many things just aren't were not written about at the time. So things like you know women having sex drives or having have have an abortion, sexual harassment. She said you know there wasn't even a word for sexual mm-hmm. harassment, but all these things were happening. And she tells a story of them um, when it was typed up. Um, the women in the typing pool each had like a section um, but it meant then they didn't know what happened next and they were ringing her <laughs> up just desperate and she said that was the first inkling that she'd written something that was going to strike a chord with because um, I guess it was sort of you know women were starting to they had jobs mm. you know and mm. their lives were changing and there it was reflected in this book I just adored the yeah. detail and the characters and the way that she writes about these women, and I could so easily, I was like, in because I like to think in the 1950s, I would have been out, you know, mm, working mm, and had a job. Yeah. I would have been one of them. And what would have that been like? And what other um, complications would there be that I don't have to consider now? Um, mm. And there's some sort of really tragic moments in there. Um, and, also, and the characters are so alive and so modern. Yeah, so yeah. contemporary in themselves. Exactly. But the situations they were in. Mm. I mean, that, so it's it's not a happy, there isn't a happy ending. No, there, no. I mean, that, and that sense of not being able to work and have a, a relationship. Yeah, it's like you have to get married. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a, a different time. What was funny was, in the I think in the introduction that I read, um, she said something about how she didn't think it would... She thought it would put people off going into publishing or going into yeah. that sort of a media environment. And apparently people were flocking yeah. to get into publishing because it sounded so sort of glamorous. Uh, yeah. But actually, that wasn't what she was yeah, trying she was to sort of, I think she said, yeah, she was trying to write, like, a cautionary tale. Yes. Yeah, and in the end... And I think I... I, I would feel similarly because I probably read it and thought 
oh gosh, you know, that sounds hard, but sounds like exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I can, <laughs> I can see why that would happen. Yeah, and it does make you want to go back in time and sort of, you know, to sort of New York in the 50s and mm. how, how exciting and glamorous that would have been, even though, you know. Even though when you unpick it, the stories behind oh, yes. this, the glamour are, are oh, really yeah. sad. Yeah, hideous, and, the, you know, the sort of way women were treated in, in the workplace yeah. um, and the opportunities that they have or rather didn't, didn't have. Um, yeah, I just, and I, I've, I've bought it for so many people since, I'm just like... It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for recommending oh. that. That was such a, that was an absolute favourite for me. So your fourth book that you've chosen is the title Will Grayson, Will Grayson by David Leverton and John Green. Yes. And this is a classic contemporary YA yes. novel. Yeah. Tell me why you've chosen this one. Um, and it's not my favourite contemporary YA novel, but it's just the time that I read it. So I just started to write the art of being normal novel. Because when I first started writing, I didn't know who it was for. You know, I was completely clueless, really. I was just, I knew I was writing a story about a young trans teenager. And that was all I knew. So at one point I was writing from sort of parents' point of view as well. You know, it was a real... I was just sort of feeling my, finding my way and sort of hoping that I would figure it out. And then I went on a writing course where they, yes, you need to write this as a YA novel. And I thought, well, I need to go out there and, you know, find out what YA is like now. Mm. So I just went to my local library, picked up a stack of books. And Will Grayson, Will Grayson was one of them. All these sort of different um, emotions that seemed to unlock in me. And it was very sweet and hopeful and... The characters were funny and witty and quite, you know, wise beyond their years. And, and I think it made me realise what way fiction could do and mm. it could deal with things that are quite difficult, but there could be a lightness to it as well. And I think it just kind of illustrated to me, this is what YA can do and really set me on a path of sort of saying, not that I wanted to write a copy of Will Grayson, Will Grayson, but it was more a feeling. I was like, mm. I want my book to feel like this. Cause, so that's why yeah. it's special to me, just because it's sort of, all of a sudden I was, everything clicked into place I was like this these are the kind of books yeah. I want to read it just yeah it just unlocked this world to me I was like wow I think I can I can do this I want to I want to write books like this I want to read books like yeah. this and from then you know I started reading loads more YA and started to find my own voice and go on to write the art of being normal yeah you know, that makes it sound really easy what's really lovely is that David Leverton then became your editor for all about me, your yes. second book. So yeah, which I think that's just fantastic. Yeah, I had moments where I was just like, "This is not happening to me." <laughs> but he's been so kind and you know, and has you know been a friend. And sometimes he'll talk to me about you know his projects and things. And I just and I get back to that. Yeah, just went to his library picking up Will Grayson, Will Grayson, and yeah. you know now I have a, a you know a relationship with one of the one of the authors. So that's I think it represents so much. Um, this book is kind of beyond the beyond the book really it's, yeah it's more yeah. you know the whole package i guess right and now on to a classic book, <laughs> which is your fifth um which is the secret diary of adrian mole aged 13 and three quarters by sue townsend yeah do you read this were you a teenager again i don't know i did reread them all in sort of my mid-20s and read the you know the whole series you know and then you get to meet adrian as an adult um and it's still so sad obviously that sue townsend passed away and i think thinking about what adrian would be making of Brexit, for oh, example, would be. Um, but I, I think there's something about. I was thinking about what it is about um, sort of Adrian Mole's voice, and I think something about again him coming from this slightly. He comes from Leicester. I come from Nottingham. Something about the Midlands can sometimes get a bit forgotten because it's sort of like north or south, and no one quite knows where it is or just assume. <laughs> but I just got. I just like. Oh, I get. I get it. I get you. <laughs> so so funny. And again, I'm not. I'm not somebody who laughs out loud very much as a as a person. So 
I, I know something's really funny if it's sort of making me chuckle out loud. And I think Adrian Mulder's one of the few characters that, that makes me do that. And just, just there's not one thing, the, no character is wasted there. No, Everybody no. has, you know, <laughs> has got a life of their own. And, um, and I don't think anyone's created a character no. like him I, and the diary format is so wonderful isn't yeah. it to, to, to express have you ever thought about writing in a diary format I have um I have yeah and it's a strange one because I think if you can do it really well you can get away with you know because often the way that then they, they you know have your whole sort of dialogue and, and things like that and I know from having kept a diary as a teenager that was not how mm. my diary was my no. diary was very boring so you sort of yeah you get to have a sort of artistic license with the diary format and I do kind of like it I like I think often when I go into books I'm like oh could this fit diaries or letters or whatever and, and unfortunately every time I write it it's sort of um because I write in first person present and I try not to, but that's how I write. It was impossible to be like scribbling down as things are um, are happening to you. But um, yeah, but I, I've always enjoyed diary a diary books yeah, that are in a diary yeah. format. I've always really really liked them. Um, so like, I'm a big fan of Bridget Jones diary, for example, yeah. and like yeah. I Capture the Castle, which is like it told in yeah. So I do. I love a mm. I love a diary format. Um, but with Adrian, I don't even know what it is about about him that I love so much. I think it's just, I mean, he just doesn't, there's the most, sometimes excruciating, outrageous things, but yet. But you always end up loving him at the end. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kind of appalling his views on her. Yeah. Yeah. So your sixth book is Every Day by David Nichols. So why is this so important to you? Well, I like to think I'm one of the people um, responsible for the success of this book, the major success, because um, I was already a fan of David Nichols' writing, so I'd read his two previous um, novels, Started at Ten and The Understudy, and also I didn't realise that there was a TV programme I really enjoyed. I think maybe it was on in the late 90s called Rescue Me, it had Sally Phillips in it, and I later realised he wrote the script for that. So I almost feel like I was sort of responding to his writing for quite a long time. Without really before. knowing it. Yeah, yeah without yeah. really knowing it. And then I read um, an article about every day in the newspaper and I thought, I love the sound of that. And I liked sort of the, even though it sounds possibly quite gimmicky, that it's um, uh, a guy and girl who meet at university and then it shows um, every day since Swithin's Day, which I think is the 15th of July. And it shows every 15th of July for the next however many years and, you know, you get to see what they've been doing in between. But it tends to be, you know, quite handily that quite big events seem to happen on these days. But it's done in such a skillful way that you don't really, yeah, you just let him go. So yeah, you just let him get away with it. So I bought it on the day it came out in hardback and I read it sort of feverishly in two days. I remember once going for, uh, ran to my friend's house and he was late and I just, I was like, no problem, it's fine. I just sat on his doorstep and read. <laughs> um, and... And it was one of those books immediately. I just told everybody about it. So I always feel, you know, it was a real word of mouth success. It was. I was part of that. From the very start. Yeah. Because I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, I was was on it. And I knew that I was going to love it. And I did. I just think his social observation is just... It's just so spot on. Yeah. And again, a bit like a bit like Sue Tazand and, and Adrian Mole, every single supporting character just feels so utterly real. Every day is not for everybody, but I just I just love it. Mm. And I, it is a book that I've read a couple of times, which is really rare for me. Well, and also he manages to do, because he writes in, it's third person, and 
I've tried their flips and, and I'm just not good at it. Um, and I'm going to keep trying. Keep I'm just trying. Like, I'm going to yeah. keep having a go. And, and maybe it's just that I keep trying to apply it to stories that aren't, aren't meant to be in third person. But he does that and he's able to jump between Emma and Dexter's heads yeah. in a way that um, I, that I sort of am able to do because I write in, in, in first person. And I really admire the way he does that. And I'm just like, I don't notice it. Oh, how am I not noticing it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, a, a big freedom in that, which mm. there isn't in yes, the first yeah. person. Exactly. So I would I would like to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Free yourself. Yes, exactly. So let's talk about your final book, which is Stoner by John Williams. Now, this is a wonderful book. I read it mm. a few years ago, so um, it's been a while. But it's a classic that was sort of rediscovered. Yeah, yes. And I sort of yeah. love that idea that there's this amazing book sort of sitting there and then all of a sudden... Again, I'm somebody who doesn't have a real emotional response to things, but this one, just the sadness of it, like, mm. hit me like, you know, like a punch in the stomach. It, so it's a man who, it looks like an ordinary life, but it's anything but, again, and I think that's what I love in reading, is just those extraordinary things that make an ordinary life anything but, and I think that's the case here, and I just think, yeah, the extraordinary sadness of an ordinary life, mm. and I think this is one of the best examples of this that I've ever read. Told from beginning to end. Yes, yes, yeah, and again, it does that thing where you you sort of grow with the character, and there's no point at which you know the character jars or, or they've suddenly aged in a way or behaved in a way that isn't consistent with with them. That you know, mm. when we met them as a child, and I sometimes know. they do, don't they? Sometimes yeah. it sort of ebbs and flows. Yeah, like anybody's life, yeah. really. You know, it's not it's all no, good. It's not all bad. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's true and rounded. Yeah, and it's just so compelling for something that you know might sound ordinary. It's yeah. an ordinary man's life, but gosh, I I was just so swept up in it and wasn't. Sh- I, I mean, I'm still not sure. I sort of think about what is it about this character, about the way it's written, that inspired those feelings and made me have this real emotional connection to it. And I do think that I've always been susceptible to feel real sadness about about ordinary people who for whatever reason might miss out on something or not reach their potential or um you know the great love story never happens for them or mm-hmm. something that you know that happens to a great many people and things so it's just sort of beautiful sad ordinary tragedy um, yeah yeah so i think particular time in your life that you think i don't know maybe was... it could have been at the time maybe it could have been at the time mm-hmm. but i think i'm not sort of maybe smart enough to figure out why at that, at that time yeah <laughs> it, 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 maybe it's one that i'm going to have a some sort of light bulb moment and go oh that's why looking you, back that's, looking why, back, you that's it. why it kind yeah. of yeah and i still remember weirdly i remember where i was when i was reading sections of it i think i would always know that a book has had some sort of impact when I can physically remember being in certain places. And, and was that before you published? It was presumably yeah, before yeah. you... And was it before you'd had the deal or written yeah. it even? Yes, yes, no, it would have been, yeah. So I think it was before I even started writing it, I've been on I can be an amateur psychologist then yeah. and say perhaps it was you feeling that you're, you hadn't done what you wanted to do with your life. Oh, God, that's... Oh, God, uh, yes. Amateur psychologist. Absolutely, yeah, because that's how I... <laughs> that's absolutely how I felt because I was just, you know, I'd been acting and acting being okay, but, you know, I, I knew. I was like, you know, this isn't going to happen to me. I'm mm. not going to be... I'm not going to... The Hollywood producer isn't going to come calling. This is not going to happen. Um, but realising that I, there was something else I really loved doing, but again, that just seems so impossible mm. because, you know, acting is competitive and writing is competitive. It was like going from one um, nightmare yeah. thing to another. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I think probably there was, was a lot in that. And that, again, going back to when I was a kid, I didn't, I was just like, I don't want to be ordinary, I don't want to be ordinary, I don't want to be ordinary. And it was really important to me that I was going to be good at something and like quantifiably good at something mm. and have something to show for it. And I think that's something that I was very determined 
to do and for a while I was sort of thinking about well, what, what might I be good at I mean, I'm just like well it's, it's um, explanation <laughs> yeah. but I think I think that's what's so interesting about the list that you've chosen because from the very start you said about the ordinary and the extraordinary but so that comes through all these books but also they're all about a sort of moments of change even if it's so it's a teenage young adult that sort of moment of becoming an adult mm-hmm. and moving from childhood to adulthood but then you have every day which is of course that 20s to 30s thing which is exactly that friends kind of yeah um feeling is coming in as adult with children and, yeah. and the difference of that and then um you've obviously got the whole life in john williams book um but yes, they're all about people, all mm. about, and there's no crime, there's no sort of thriller yeah. element here, but they're all yeah. fascinating, wonderful, gripping yeah. And actually thinking stories. about the ones that didn't make the, the, the cut, they're all, in, you know, I'm just thinking, like, the other ones are talking into my head, they're like, oh gosh, yeah, they all fit, mm. fit under that umbrella, so I'm very, it's sort of quite obvious to me what sort of books I go for. And, and what you now write. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's all fabulous, it all feeds into Yeah, that. it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think they're so interesting. They're all such readable books, and I mean that's part of your um, ability as well, is to make it look very simple to write a very readable book that has a lot of depth. And uh, these all have that as well. So um, yeah, what an interesting selection. Oh, thank um, you. After thank you so much for talking about all those books. Um, how do you how do you see reading in the overall scheme of your life now? Um. I just can't imagine life without it. Would be yeah. I, I just like just thinking about you know my life with no books, my life without a book on the go, without I would find it tremendously hard not to be reading and have stories that other life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's what's so special. And I think I'd really miss that relationship because I don't feel even though I you know, I love watching films and TV, I don't feel that it's ever. You know, I, I feel very aware that you know loads of other people are sitting down and watching it and seeing what I'm seeing, mm. but reading, no one's seeing it the way I'm no. seeing it. Um, so, and I can't imagine ever not reading either. I just think that you know, I think as well, it makes me less self obsessed because um, because it's you know forcing yourself to look at things from another person's yeah. point of view and put yourself in their shoes. So yeah, I think I'll always I'll always be a reader and I'll always have books around me and. The On Reading Podcast is produced by Will, Clermontine and Bella. For more information about the podcast, our guests and the books we've talked about, please visit onreading.co.uk.